Lord Jesus, we pray. May our hearts be receptive to your word, brought alive by your spirit. Lord, we want to hear from you, and we ask that now you will help that to happen. For we ask it in your name. Amen. This is a part of John 17. The picture is, this is John's take on the Last Supper, Thursday night. And Jesus is with his disciples, and he's, he's as it were, he's realized this is the last teaching moment he has. And they now are ready to have some things explained to them, and also to be prepared for what is to come. So we've had this short series in John, and this is the last one for now. Jesus speaking to his disciples. And actually, I don't know how you found it. Some people found, thank you for reading it, Jenny, because it, it is quite concentrated text. Did you, did you think? There were lots of ideas very closely packed together. And certainly this text has been used in church circles for a variety of ways. Um, the first is just to look at all the ideas that are there in Jesus' teaching. But secondly, and more perhaps familiar to some, it's been used to help the church see that it's important that Christians are one in the way that Jesus and his Father are one. And so it's, it's been the impetus for the ecumenical movement in the last probably a hundred years, really, um, driving churches to say, are our differences uh, a reason for people saying, well, I wouldn't really take much interest because they, they just sort of, they're different and they argue amongst themselves. And so the ecumenical movement has really captured this. And you may find, some of you who've been around those circles, um, that this rings bells with committees you've sat on. <coughs> uh, I've been involved in some of this and it's very strange how great ideas start out as heartwarming and moving and wind up with a committee. And, <clears throat> you know, the Greeks invented the committee. Did you know that? And the English perfected it. And so what has happened is that this dense um, passage has also got these, uh, these feelings of we must do things where we're very ecumenically alert. I'd like to suggest that actually we need to burrow deeper into John. Because here, there's something really very special and lovely that Jesus is saying. And I'd like just to draw that out to your attention today. So we're looking at his prayer. Verse 9. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world. In this world of uh, equality, um, you might think, well, surely Jesus should be praying for the world as well as us. Well, of course he is, and he does. But actually, there's something extra. For those who become Christians, who become disciples of Jesus, they find that Jesus is praying for us. Just to say that slowly, at this moment, Jesus is praying for you and for me, for everybody who's decided to follow him. So when you think maybe it's tough at work or you can't believe the week has gone how it's gone or there's something more profound happened that's really saddened and upset you you're never really alone jesus is praying for you those disciples were just about to lose jesus and they were going to be really sad so there are difficulties in life ahead 
And Jesus prays for them. And so he prays for us. And I think that's great to have one prayer partner who's solidly there day by day praying for you and for me. I could stop there, but I, I won't. You will feel cheated. What does he pray? Oh, sorry. I've just realized I'm supposed to be doing the clicker. <laughs> well, the disciples were going to leave, and Jesus knew it would be a challenge, so he, he said we need special help and special protection. And what does he do? This lovely thing. He prays for them, not for the world. What does he pray for us? That's the question. Well, if you look, there's quite a bit there he prays. But I think that this first prayer, the prayer for his disciples, is summed up in verse 13. Chapter 17, verse 13. <clears throat> I'm coming to you now, but I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy within them. That song we just sang, Bless the Lord, O my soul, is suffused by joy. Jesus wants disciples to have joy. As he said earlier, if you look back there, I do not pray that you take them out of the world. Um, verse uh, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them in the world. Jesus doesn't promise to take us away. These people who, who want to withdraw from life and keep themselves pure somehow, it's not the way Jesus wants it. It's the other way around. He wants us to be out there doing things in the world, and we'll see why in a moment. But whilst we're here in the flux of life, he prays, I'd like you to know the joy that I enjoy and know. Well, okay, he prays for a protection, and he prays that it'll come through joy. And I'd like to, as it were, use a picture to help us see this. I don't know what you think God is like. Does anybody recognize the picture? Yes. Thank you. The story of the prodigal son coming back home, painted by Rembrandt. Uh, and actually, some think it might have been his last painting. And in it, Rembrandt has captured that moment when the son comes home. And look at the father and the way he embraces his son and welcomes him. That father's heart was full of joy. The son, you'll remember, had gone off. I mean, we have a son, and I'm not sure he's quite like that, but he, he's, he's very keen to make a bargain with his dad. Dan, if you let me have the money early, I could do this or that, you know. Do you have that? All right, okay, well, we do. And... <laughs> And he's very entrepreneurial. Um, he, he, he thinks, I'll take the best of you, if you don't mind. <laughs> well, this young man went off. He said to his dad, I really would like to just try my luck in the world. Give me my share of the inheritance, and off, I, off he went. <clears throat> and I don't know whether you know, in Jewish custom, if when the estate was divided, the elder son got two shares, and all the other sons got one share each. So he took two, didn't take just half, he took two thirds of the estate and went off and squandered it in living. You remember the story? And then he came back having just made a mess of it. And look at the father there welcoming him home. 
That's the first picture I'd like to leave with. There's only two for today. A father, there's joy. Do you see, he's lost one of his shoes. His father gave him new shoes. Some who, uh, I'm not sure about this, but see what you think. Um, The way he holds him like that, it's as if he's embracing him and including him in, in, in his family again. See his mother up at the top left hand looking on. And you see the, the older brother saying, or you can see, look at his attitude, looking. This lad's come back. He is now part of the family. It's not fair. I've worked and slaved for my dad all these years. Look at him. He's just back and my father's making such a fuss of him. And you can see the Pharisees, who are the, the, the first audience to hear this, saying, and probably some of the crowd, Dear me, if we ran the world like this, we'd never get anywhere. You can't just let people get away with stuff, can you? <laughs> Try and imagine like this. Your son or daughter's borrowed the car. Be back by 11. Yes, mum. Yes, dad. One o'clock, knock at the front door. There she is. There he is. A bit disheveled, wet, soaked through, and say, um, Dad, I've got something to say to you. What's that? Well... It was quite tricky, that road, and there was a bend, and I didn't quite see. It was dark, you know. Yes, and, um, well, the car's in the ditch, and I walked home. Now, at that point, what do you as a dad say? You look tired and hungry. Come in, sit down, let me make you a meal. Really? Really? Well, I don't know. I haven't been faced with that yet. It'll be a real test, won't you? Um, this father said, come in. You look bedraggled, worn out. You look as if you're at your wit's end. Come in. Sit down. Now we'll have a feast. And you are welcome back. And his father was so overjoyed. And the son was glad to be back. That's the kind of joy that Jesus is talking about. He would like us to experience, to taste a little bit of that. I don't know whether you've been in the situation where you've fallen out with somebody and you've had to go and put it right. And you put it right and suddenly they say, it's really all right. And they give you a hug or whichever the way you express, it's all right. And suddenly you discover you're back in the family again. Isn't it lovely? So that was the first thing that Jesus prayed that they will be in us and share the joy that we share, a father and the son welcoming home. Well, what else do you do? If we then move on to verse uh, 18, uh, sorry, verse, oh, it's blown over, 20. My prayer, says Jesus, is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's, in, that's why the church is remaining here, to share the message. I pray not only for you, who must, for others who will believe the message. And what does, what does Jesus pray? That they also may be in us. And I'd like to offer you a second picture. This one was painted by a Russian painter. Does anybody recognize that? Nod, nod, no, no. (laughs) Okay. 
It's on. Oh, oh, is this the one? It was okay. For those of you who remember the last rector who who, who left last year, wasn't it? Now, this was one of his favourites. Well, now, what is it? It's called Trinity, but actually, the subtitle is. Okay, Shall I? I'll, I'll give you a little clue. Three angels appeared to Abraham in the Old Testament. And the, when these angels came to Abraham, Abraham said, sit down and I'll make a feast for you. And he gave them a meal. And so the, this is a painting of the three angels with Abraham. But it's painted in a way that we see the Trinity. Now, how do we know? Well, if you look carefully, blue... The convention there, when this was painted, blue was the uh, the symbol of divinity. So all three have blue clothes. Second, they all are the same size. Third, the faces are the same. Fourth, the person on the left looks at the others, and the other two look this way. So what you have here is the father on the left. You have the son looking at his father with the blue but also the red of suffering and the cross and on the right you have the Holy Spirit divine and got a green uh, wrapping around him the green symbolized life and regeneration so you've got the three and the three halos there so these three angels represent the Trinity but what and that's lovely and that's interesting isn't it yes it was painted in the 12th, 1140, a long time ago, and then hidden because they wanted to protect it, and then um, brought back. And now it's in a museum just outside Mosque, uh, at the Hermitage Museum in St. Petersburg. Now, that's interesting. But do you see what the painter was doing? He has put a, a table there, and on the left and behind and on the right are three people. Do you see, this part of the table is waiting for the next guest. And the next guest is the person who looks at the picture. This picture is, what the, what the artist wanted to do was to convey that Jesus, the, the Trinity, the life of the Trinity goes on, and they're awaiting, Jesus, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are waiting for us to come in and join in. That place there, that little square, is for you. Someone, whether it might even be a mirror, but isn't quite. This painting is an invitation to come and join in the life of the Trinity. That joy that they have in us, said Jesus, I want you to have it. So that you may be one in the way that we are one. You may experience the pleasure, the delight of being with us, all of you. And so this second picture, the first picture talks about the joy. I wouldn't run because they'll accelerate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Can I say, well done for... I've seen some mums sit at the back and say, don't, don't, and you think, she can't hear you up here, you know. <laughs> So in this picture, we've got invitation. What Jesus is saying, 
I'd like you to be one in the way that the Father and I are one, is there's a life in the Spirit which is here on offer, and I would like you to come in and participate. You complete the circle. You are included in the life that we share, that my joy may be in you. And that's what Jesus is praying for the disciples. Outwardly, they're going to have tough times ahead. Jesus is going to die, and then he's going to leave them. And he's saying, but there's a life to which you are invited that you can experience now. And I'd love you to know that. So as we come to the communion in just a moment, what I'd like you to do is to say, Lord, how might I enter in? How may I take up your invitation? How may I respond to your prayer? So that the oneness, the life that goes through all of you becomes part of me. I'd like you just to uh, pour... I'll get it back up. Okay, well, we'll leave it. You have to remember it. It's, it's gone. <laughs> there are other things that flow from this passage, but I felt for this morning, it was just those two things. The joy of the Father and Son united and the privilege of being included. So may we just take a moment's pause and ask the Holy Spirit to make those truths which Jesus summarized real in our experience. Do you feel ostracized, separated, apart, and you feel you don't belong. All of those feelings have no place in the community of the church, the family of God. Is it a long time since you've experienced joy, the joy the Holy Spirit gives, that wells up within and then overflows and cascades out? Now, in this moment, I invite you to say to the Lord what you would like to say. And then we'll continue. So let us just be quiet while the children chatter and we attend to what God would do for us this morning. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love for us, for your invitation to us, and for the reality of your presence with us. We thank you in your name. Amen.